Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Let's get into the word, amen? Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11 reads in the New King James, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Boy, that's a difficult dilemma. I've got a lot to share, but it's difficult to share it. He says it's difficult to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. That's a, that's a condition. For though by this time... You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern. Everyone say discern. To discern both good and evil. We are continuing uh, in our series that we're launching out the year with, and I realize we're already a month and a half into the year and we're still in launch mode, I feel like. Uh, But we are pacing ourselves and really being intentional to lay the groundwork necessary to understand what 2 Timothy chapter 4 talks about, the falling away. Many, some, will fall away, will depart from the faith, giving heed to doctrines of demons and deceiving or seducing spirits. And we recognize this, that a mark of falling away is not always falling away to the flesh. What I mean by that is disregarding the things of God and chasing after the things of the world. We're finding that there is something more alluring, more seductive, maybe even more attractive than thinking that we are abandoning God's principles for the world's principles. That is obviously the the life of a the, the backslider. That is a backslidden life. That is a life that once pursued holiness and pursued righteousness and pursued uh, the, the sanctity and the purity of the word and living according to what disciples of Jesus really looks like. By the way, I heard a very difficult statistic that on this planet, 71% claim to be Christian. But out of the 71%, at best, any measurement, any statistic that we, that, that churches have done, any type of survey, any type of questioning, at best, the best number they can come up with for fully, wholly devoted followers of Jesus out of the 71% is 4%. And that's the best marks that they can get. claim to be Christian. And and I heard uh, someone uh, make this quote, so I did not come up with it, but it's very true. The the greatest danger in the last days is that Christians don't become disciples. We're going to minister on this. We're going to cover this. Either 
on these weekends. I, I may hit on it. I may hit it on both our weekend services and our midweek services where we're breaking down the kingdom of God because really you, you won't, uh, let me just give this to you. In the Bible, you find the word disciple 268 times. The Greek word methetes means to be a pupil, to be a learner, to be a, a follower of. You find the word Christian three times. And even more than that, you find the word Christian is never used to self-identify as a follower of Jesus. What that means is believers within the circle never called themselves Christians. They were called Christians by outsiders. Instead, they used words like brethren, believers, the flock, the sheepfold, disciples, or apprentice to follow under one and then eventually become what they were is the connotation, the implication of disciple. And we're told to make disciples. I'm not saying the word Christian is a bad word, but I'm letting you know in scriptural, biblical terms, we have fallen very far from the standard. We have fallen very far and the decline only becomes greater. The discrepancy between Christian and disciple is only stretching even further. And so I say all that to say that there is this many will depart, some will depart from the faith, this abandoning. And, and to depart, you have to have at once been a part. To depart from means you were once included in, but now we've abandoned or let go or have fallen away from what that looks like. And so we're understanding that there is a reigning spirit. Everyone say the reigning spirit. The reigning spirit, that means there is more than one spirit, but there is only one spirit that reigns. There's only one spirit that ought to be in control. There's only one spirit that we ought to yield ourselves to. And so we're recognizing what does this falling away look like? And if it's not just this blatant, I don't want to pursue God anymore, which is happening, the deconstruction of faith, and, and I believe there's other gods, I believe that there's a higher power, but I don't know if it is God, or that there is no higher power at all. Whatever that looks like, that's taking place. People that were once founded in Scripture and founded in Christian beliefs and Christian rhythms and Christian uh, uh, disciplines are now finding themselves outside completely. But now we have this other group that looks like they're striving toward the same, it looks like they're on the same plane, but they're not gonna arrive at the same place. They're not a part of the group that the word talks about will remain, will endure to the end, will persevere. And so we're understanding that we've got to understand the realm of the spirit, the things of the spirit, because how... How is it that one gets sideways? How is it that, that one can feel like they are pursuing God and the things of God, but yet be off course? Their trajectory is not on the same path. It's through seduction. 
It's through deception. It's through something that we look back and we find all the way back in Genesis chapter three. We said this last week. The counterfeit is always introduced with the intent to deceive. We said that the counterfeit is not simply proposed as another option. You can choose that or here's another alternative for you. No, a counterfeit is designed with the intent to look so much like the authentic that it could be easily mistaken for the authentic. And this is how the enemy is work has worked in Genesis chapter 3 and has continued to work all throughout time and will continue to work in these last days through seduction. We saw the formation of deception last week. We said, number one, it begins with distraction. You hear a lie. This is why the word encourages us to give attention to the word. Pay attention, pay close attention to the word. Joshua 1 tells us that we are not to turn to the right or to the left. Because there is a narrow path. There is a straight path that we are to remain on. And distractions arise to pull you off course. So we begin with distractions. It just begins. It doesn't mean that they're intentionally, uh, the, the, the serpent just showed up as a distraction. And if we would have defeated the serpent as a distraction, we would have never ended up in the second level, delusion. We believe a lie. You believe a lie. Now you believe more in what you've been distracted by. We've said this, that everybody in this room is discipled. You are discipled by something. The question is not if you're giving attention. The question is what are you giving your attention to? And so one that falls away, what did it say? Giving heed to. Thank God those three words are there. It's not, you can read this passage and just sound like, oh man, any of us could get tripped up. Any of us could fall away. Well, yes, that is true. But there is, a, there is an intentional step that the hearer partakes in. It's called giving heed to. And if I give heed to, if I give attention to, if I pay close attention to the distraction, it'll eventually become a delusion. What's a delusion? Simply believing a lie. You're delusional. We see a lot of that happening today, don't we? Some of it you can find. Some of it you can identify quickly. That's delusional. You actually believe that to be true? But then we see the worst case, deception. Step number three. Step number three is dangerous because step number three makes you feel like you know. Step number three is deception, where you will defend a lie. You could even add in there, promote a lie. It's one thing to believe a lie, but when you get to the posture and the position that now I'm going to promote it, I'm going to get behind it, and I'm going to defend it with my life, uh, you're deceived. You're deceived. I actually just saw this quote this morning. 
I want to pull it up so I say it right. Listen to this. It's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. Whoops. It is easier to fool people, to trip them up, to get them off course, to get them to believe something that's incorrect, because once you end up in a deceived state where you promote and defend an untrue statement, an untrue belief, that's difficult to get back. Why? Because deceived people don't know they're deceived. It takes some strong convincing. And I almost, you know, we'll look at it in the word. At that point, you got to do what Paul, what, 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 what Paul suggested in Corinthians. You're going to have to hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Meaning, there are no natural recourses I can give you at this point. We just have to disband, disconnect, and pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal in your life, show you in your life that something will prick your hardened heart to soften it, to say and see and realize I've fallen away. This is how dangerous level of deception is. See, delusion, I, I can still have a conversation with the delusional person and still win them back if I can show them the right way. You still got some hope. But in deception, in deception, there's no convincing. And it's true. We fall into deception much easier than we get out of it. And at the end of the day, it's, it is the work and the attempt of the enemy. But we have to take responsibility. You're not going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, well, they said they were apostle so-and-so. They said that they graduated from such and such. They looked like, guys, we're going to stand before him and he's going to say, but what did you believe? What did you give heed to and know it for yourself? I mean, you're not even going to be able to get to stand before him and say, but Pastor Mark said, it ain't going to work. And I can't stand before him and say, but Kenneth Hagin said, but Earl Glisson said, but whoever said. I don't even get to stand before him and say, but Paul said. I got to know even what Paul wrote by unction of the Holy Spirit is the true word of God delivered by the Holy Spirit. And now I've got to know it as real as Paul knew it. I've got to know it as real as he knew it when he wrote it. We're all going to stand accountable for this. And so we're breaking down this giving heed to. So I hope that we can endure one more week of this attention issue because the attention issue is the, is the real issue. You become what you behold. 
You become what you behold. We are all a product of our focus. That's why I said we're all discipled. We're all discipled by something. We are all giving heed to something heed to. It's a matter of what are we giving heed to. And so we need to understand this because the writer of Hebrews is writing to a church, to believers, to brethren. It's not writing to the world. This is not written to the world. See, this is what you got to understand about Scripture is You, you, the, the whole Bible is there for our consumption. The whole word, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. But you are a New Testament believer. And when you come into the kingdom of God, you should be overindulging and giving yourself to the New Testament realities of who you are in Christ, what you have in him, and what it looks like to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and devotedly. And so you need to be reading the books that Paul wrote to such believers. You need to be reading Romans. You need to be reading Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, letters to the churches. You need to be reading 1 and 2 Thessalonians. You need to be reading Hebrews. These are written to the churches as a whole. Now you got some other letters that Paul has written, some other books to Timothy, to Titus, Philemon, written to individuals, and there's great instruction in there. But where you need to be living, especially as a newfound, born-again believer, is you've got to discover the New Testament reality of who you are. Job is not where you are. In fact, let's just be honest. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job had very little insight of who God was. So although everything in the Bible is true, not everything in the Bible is a true statement. And there are many untrue statements about God that Job makes in his condition and in his peril. And people want to go to Job like, this is how you operate in real faith. No, it's not. No, it is not. You want to learn how to operate as a New Testament believer in faith, get in the New Testament letters written to New Testament Christians that have the Holy Spirit in them and the Holy Spirit upon them. Amen? So we have to understand these things. Now, are there great things that we can pull from the book of Job? Absolutely there is. The whole word is profitable for for, for your growth and for your development and for your nutrient. And so Paul's writing this book, Hebrews, to a church, to brethren. And he's coming back after a time of having or the writer of this church, we don't know that it's Paul, although most scholars believe it was Paul. However, they are coming back, and you know they're coming back because he makes a statement that says, for though by this time, 
Well, how would he know that if he hadn't been there in the first place? There had to be a time where he was, in, he was there and he's like, okay, you guys are babes. You don't need to be teaching anybody. You need to be getting the word in you. You need to be hearers of the word. You need to be doers of the word. And when I come back around, we can go a little deeper with you. We're going to start out with the milk. Hopefully we can get to the meat. And then by this time, you ought to be able to teach others. And the individual comes back and says, oh, well, apparently we haven't done what we should have been doing in whatever period of time that is. You know, Paul writes along the same lines. That's why you find a lot of the same uh, uh, communication and a lot of the same writing. Paul did the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Planted the, the church at Corinth. Pastors them. Raises up a leader called Apollos. Hands the church off to Apollos. Comes back around as an apostle now. He's not the pastor of the church, so he's not overriding Apollos' authority, but he's coming back in an apostolic authority over a church he planted and oversees. And he makes pretty much the same statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I thought I could come back and give you spiritual meat, but found out you're still carnal, behaving like mere men, not spiritual, you need the milk of the word. And he makes the same statement, Paul does. By this time, you ought to have, which means there's an expectation of a time frame. Now, what does that time frame look like for us in maturing in the faith, maturing as believers? It's different for everybody. It's not chronological like on our time clocks. You can't just say, you know, you know, in, in six years, you ought to go from kindergarten to fifth grade. We can do that. Year by year, you ought to be promoting and graduating. It's not the same for everybody. But we do know this, that there was anywhere from four to seven years between Paul planting the church and coming back and writing the book of 1 Corinthians. So we do know at least this, at least this construct, somewhere in four to seven years, he expected them to be mature or more mature than he left them. What does that time frame looks like? Look like it's really based on your hunger, your desire to grow. You know, there are things with infants that you do that we should not be doing with adults. Shouldn't be changing adult diapers. Shouldn't be spoon feeding adults. Huh? Shouldn't have to ride you around everywhere. Shouldn't have to take care of chores for you. It's the same spiritually. And as we remain in infancy, as we remain in a, 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 a beginning, born-again state, a, as the word calls it, I'm not being demeaning or condescending, the word says it, a babe in Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody comes in the same way. None of you came in here super spiritual. None of you came in here scholars. None of you came in here theologians. In fact, theologians sometimes make the worst mature Christians because we fill our head up at the expense of our spirit. But what happens, and I'm not telling you not to learn the word and not grow in that because you need to, but not at the expense of the nature of the Father and the heart of the Father. Otherwise, you'll learn the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. 
but that's for another day. We'll get there. But as a babe in Christ, we all start there. And just like babies in the natural world, we do things that have to be cleaned up. We have a greater need of assistance and a lesser ability to participate, right? So as a born-again believer, we're not going to be engaged in the same activity. But you're also not going to be receiving the same level of word. If it goes from milk to meat, y'all with me? Okay, so it's the same in the spirit. You know, and sometimes it's hard because as babes in Christ, they're the ones that, man, they're more gung-ho about it, want to go after it. Now you got to find a way to keep the same passion and fervency that you had when you first came into the kingdom as you mature. Because now what you find is people fill up their heads and, and grow, you know, supposedly in the things of the Lord but they're not as passionate as they were to win the lost, to share their faith, to give their testimony, to invite to church, to be a participant. You know? Then you end up with adult believers, which really you're not an adult, but grown at least in a chronological effect of how long I've been in the faith or how long I've attended church, but you become fat and lazy. Just to put it plainly. What do I mean? Fat, fattened up. You know so much, but you don't do any of it. We just consume, 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 and we don't give, give, give. That's why he said there's got to be a time where you start teaching. There's got to be a time where you start sharing. There's got to be a time where you start participating. But as a babe in Christ, you are more relying on our assistance to feed our assistance to direct, our assistance to lead you in the proper way. And then we do things that need cleaning up. We do things that, hey, you come in, you correct with the love of the Father. Say, hey, no, that's, that's not how we do that. Not how we handle that. I love Jesus' response with the disciples, you know, when they were out ministering, and then they heard that there was another group of people that were, uh, you know, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they said, hey, uh, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these guys? That's an that's a infant response. And Jesus, just so patiently, man, if they're not against us, they're with us. Just leave them alone. You just pursue the kingdom of God. Just, just so patiently, as, as with a child, as, as with a, a young babe that's growing and maturing. Oh, so much patience, so much long-suffering. Sometimes you can read verses like Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 5, 11, and, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 3, and you can think, oh, man, God is just so rigid and so strict, and he, he's just waiting to come down if you just mess up. It. No, it, there, there, is, there has been enough time, apparently, for these apostles, for these writers, for these, uh, um, um, those that are introducing people to the faith, there has been enough time has passed that says, guys, we shouldn't be stuck here. And this writer goes even deeper and says, I can tell you why you're where you're at. You've become lazy in your hearing. 
read it in a few other translations in the New Living. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. It's the New Living. The Amplified reads, concerning this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull and sluggish in your spiritual hearing and disinclined to listen. So we've been talking about giving heed to and what are you giving your heed to? And we're all giving heed to something. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of what. But now we're finding out that there's another kind of hearing that's a problem. There's the distracted hearing that eventually accepts delusion and then becomes deceived by it. But now we're finding that there's another danger in our hearing where we fail to hear, fail to give proper attention, where we don't adequately stay engaged. And I think this one may be even more dangerous. There's the one that's just looking at everything. Well, I read my Bible and I read this guy and I watch this one and I attend that conference and I've been to that revival and and it's just all over the place. But then there's the one that has just, they, 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 they come and they may be faithful to sit under, faithful to be in the place to hear, but become dull and sluggish. What this means is we don't give value or honor to hearing the word of God. And so even though you may say, well, you know, I'm not reading all these commentaries and I'm not looking at all these things and I'm not following all these guys. You know, I've got my pastor and I got my Bible. But when we go to certain passages, you say things like, oh, there again. Can he preach on something else? Isn't there anything new? Oh, it's just, it's not the lack, it's a lack of fervor and engagement and desire to learn and draw. So you got one of two cases in our hearing, one that listens to too much and one that has become dull or disinclined, as the Amplified says, disinclined. To hear, we've got to deal with this attention factor. We've got to deal with this attention factor on all fronts. Because what good is it if you whittle down your attention and your focus, but on the thing that you are listening to, the thing that you are receiving from, you're not allowing it to be rooted in your heart. You're not allowing it to, you, you, you don't have the draw and the desire and the, the pa- and the passion. And I'm telling you right now, how you hear the word has much to do with how you do the word. It's not just hearing, but how you're hearing. How are you hearing it? With value and with honor? With a leaned in approach? Y'all know what that means? Lean in means, you know, if you ever, some of you are doing it now, you're on the edge of your seat leaning in. That's a physical posture, but is your heart in that posture? 
That's the question. Is your heart in the posture of? I'm hearing, I'm listening. What's the next thing? What's the next truth? Not just hearing, but how? It says you become dull. You become lazy. You become sluggish. In essence, he says this, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again. The first principles, this is the New King James, of the oracles of God. The New Living reads, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. In essence, he's saying you haven't promoted as maybe you think you have. We might need to hold you back. You know, we do that in school. Don't we do that? If a student has not acquired the necessary elements or doesn't show the ability at the level they're at, we cannot, should not promote them to a new level without understanding if they've acquired what they need at the previous level, at the current level. And I'll tell you right now, God will not do it. You might try to do it. We might try to force some things. Well, I'm going to teach anyways. Well, that's dangerous because now it's the blind leading the blind. Or maybe you're ready to preach something you aren't living yet. Or maybe you're ready to preach something that you only have a partial truth or knowledge about. And when I say preach, I don't mean on a pulpit, I mean in your life. The last thing the world needs is that uh, another mouth that doesn't line up with the heart. We can regurgitate some things. We can communicate some things. And so God's like, I got a foolproof system for that. We just won't promote you yet. We just won't give you that capacity yet until you've proven that you can pass the test at the previous level. And you always test out. There's always a proofing ground. I said, there's always a proofing ground. There will be. The master will return and say, I gave you five, I gave you two, and I gave you one. Now, what did you do with it? Return back to me. There will be. There's not the promotion without the proving. Y'all okay? All right. You have been believers so long now, the new living, that you ought to be teaching others. Uh, Let's read it in the Amplified. For though by this time you ought to be teachers because of the time you have had to learn these truths. Again, we're not trying to put the same measurement on everybody. But in your walk with the Lord and in your growth and in your development, are we passing tests of life? We ministered several years ago. I can't remember what year it was when we did equip. It's the year of equipping. Maybe 17, 18, something like that. I think we did two years of it. 
You can find the messages online. They're powerful. Because the role of pastors and leaders, remember Ephesians chapter 4, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, the five-fold ministry is given to the church for the educating of the saints. That's not what it says. It's given for the equipping of the saints. Education is only an element of equipping. It's only part of it. I love when Pastor Earl ministers it, and in fact, we've now, he's now got a book on it. Is it called Equip? I think it's called Equip. I think it's his newest one that he was supposed to bring when he was here in January, and he didn't, so I said bring it at Kingdom Rise. So we'll have it at Kingdom Rise Conference. He wrote a book on it, or they compiled the messages into a book. And he talks about when he joined the military. You can use this in many different aspects, but when he joined the military, he talks about when he learned to throw a hand grenade. And he said, there was a season where we're sitting in a classroom and we learned about a hand grenade, learned about what it can do, the components, what it's made of, what it looks like. But he said, they did not take them from the classroom and put them on the battlefield with hand grenades. Guess what they did? They took them into training and practice. They took them into elements where they had to practice. And you know what? He said the first thing they did is they said, all right, everybody, you know, grab one of these dummy grenades and launch it, throw it. And he said almost all of them threw it like a baseball. Just like that. Just pick it up, baseball, football, whatever, throw it. He said, that was the first thing is we learned that that's not how you throw it. You throw it like this. And so right from there, put in environments where they're having to use and train and practice so that when they are in the battlefield, when they are in the moment where you have to get it right, and there was a testing out of that thing. If you didn't do it right, guess what? We're not sending you on because it can cost a life later, yours or somebody else's. The wrong life could be dangerous. He goes on about the equipping of the saint and the need for practice and, and training. And guys, if I could just be honest with you, I'm seeing less and less people pass the first test. being taught the love of God, being taught how to be a follower of Jesus. But the first opportunity that comes for offense, they give into it. And it takes root. Guess what? We're going back to the basics, the elementary principles of God's word from the beginning. Because you're still getting offended. You're still getting angry. You're still, didn't get, you're still getting vengeful. You're not letting the love of God that's been shed abroad your heart to overtake and, and rule and reign in that moment. And you're giving yourself to another spirit and a, a spirit of offense. This is how this works. We've got to be passing the tests. We've got to have the proper practice and training in place. And then you need somebody in your life that is watching over that. We all think we're doing better than we really are. Everybody, 
on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? You're gonna give me, you know, something in the highs. And if you get someone close enough in your life, and they gotta be close, you can't have accountability from a distance. Gotta have accountability in proximity that can say, eh, you know, but I, I saw this one little, if I could just help you with your blind spots, if I can just help you see what you can't see, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. Do you have somebody in your life providing some kind of counsel, accountability partner, a spouse, a pastor, a, a, a spiritual advisor or leader, somebody that can speak into that? And if you've got one that's just always telling you how awesome you are, trade them out and get a new one. Make a trade. Amen. No, I, I need to know. I need to know. Why? Because we're working toward something. Let me tell you why this is dangerous. Let's keep going back in the uh, new living. Um, yeah, that's fine, new living. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through, here it is, training, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training, everyone say training, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. The Amplified reads it this way. For everyone who lives on milk is doctrinally inexperienced and unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, what is the word of righteousness? It's right standing. It's being right with the Father. Now, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5 says that you have received the gift of righteousness. It means you don't become righteous on your own account, on your own ability, on your own accord. You become righteous because of his gift to you. A gift literally means I did not work for it. That's what a gift means. You cannot, you, you don't go to work and work your 40 hours and at the end of the week they say, hey God, we, man, we just love you, man. You've done an awesome job here. We just, we just wanna bless you with $17 an hour for every hour that you worked this week. Hey, that's just our gift to you. No, you're like, I worked for that. But at Christmas time, when you're opening gifts, you're not accumulating in your mind, okay, uh, this is for when I did those things and this is when I did that. So, okay, that's, that's the right pain. No, it's a gift. It's a gift that you did not exert energy toward and could not. Not on your own merit, not on your own effort. A gift of righteousness. But now he says you, not, you need to be skilled in the word of righteousness. What's that mean? The application of it. Be, I don't, I'm not righteous because I do right things. I do right things because I'm righteous. You see the difference? And he says, we're not applying the gift of righteousness adequately. We are unskilled in the word of righteousness. It's interesting he calls that a skill. 
A skill is an ability, but every ability needs to be strengthened. Every ability, I got a coach right here. He's got students and, and, and uh, athletes on his soccer team. They've got skills and they've got abilities. So they don't need you, right? They just show up on the soccer field and they just do everything the way they're supposed to do, right? Ah, you wish, you wish. That's not how that works. No, we need some coaching. We need someone to take our skill, take our gift of righteousness and teach us how to live it out properly. Amen. I'm getting something. I don't know about y'all. I'm getting something. Unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a spiritual infant. See, infancies are those that are doctrinally inexperienced and unskilled in the word of righteousness. And that's expected at infancy. What he's speaking to here is you ought to be mature. We'll come back and found out you're still at baby level. And again, that's not condescending. That's not demeaning. That doesn't diminish who you are. That doesn't diminish your potential. It speaks to the potential. When we make statements like, by this time you ought to, and what's that speaking to? It's in you to achieve this level. You're still coming in here. We need to get here. You know, it's crazy because athletes, they desire this kind of talk. They're looking for this. They put themselves intentionally in places that say, please help me see what I can't see. We, um, Camden and I had an awesome opportunity, got a family here in the church whose uh, brother plays professional baseball. He's a pitcher. And uh, we had an awesome opportunity. They invited us to go to dinner just before he headed out to spring training a few weeks ago. And he was just pulling up for me all of his, his, he's got this whole, he's got a coach out of North Carolina that sends him all these training programs and all these things that he's doing in the off season. And he submits himself to that. Isn't that crazy? That he would desire to, subject himself to someone telling him where he needs to work, what he needs to work on, where he needs to improve, how to get better in a certain area of life, of his training, of his ability, how to throw harder, how to be more consistent, how to use his legs more, proper movements, mechanics, the, the spin of the ball, all of it. Isn't that amazing? That he would, he's paying for it. He pays for this coach. If only us in the church had that same. And it's free. It costs you nothing. I had a family just, just last weekend. So funny, I'm not going to call them out, but I, I just love the, just the, 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 the newness of their heart. They, they say, can, can we? can we schedule a time to just sit down with you and, and Pastor Ashley and talk about our marriage and talk about our life? It's like, yes. They're like, we, we didn't know you could do that. We thought that you were just in the foyer and you just say hi to people, but we couldn't actually talk to you. I said, absolutely. Yes. 
Yes, and desire that. Desire to be coached, desire to be trained up, desire to become more skilled, desire to improve in in areas where you know I need to get better, desires to see things that I don't even see. Desire says, man, I I just wanna be the best, fully devoted follower of Jesus I can be. I wanna be the greatest reflection of the kingdom. I wanna be the greatest representation of his power and authority. I wanna be him on this earth. Show me what I'm missing. A guy desiring to be a professional athlete has a desire to subject himself to somebody that will voice in his life what needs to be tweaked and adjusted and changed. But in church, we call it punishment. Correction is not punishment. The Bible even says that discipline isn't punishment. Does it feel good? Surely it does not especially when you think you're doing better than you thought. I get it. But it's the, it's the discipline that refines. Some people only know the voice of the Holy Spirit when he's encouraging or exhorting them. But do you know the voice of the Holy Spirit when he's correcting and tweaking? Because he'll do it. He'll do it. The voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what it says. I want to go to the New King James. I need a certain word here in verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use. Does it say by reason of here? Reason of use. Have their senses exercised. Everyone say exercised. That's that training. That's that practice. Look what it says. Exercise to discern. Now, how are we tying this into deception? Because discernment is the antidote to deception. You want to overcome deception in your life? Increase your discernment. Increase your discernment. But this is what he says about discerning. You got to be trained. You say, if you're going to be able to discern, and look what he's saying, telling us to discern between. Let's just look at those last three words. Good and evil. Was it the, the new living said right and wrong? I mean, shouldn't that be obvious? I mean, how much training do we really need to discern the difference between good and evil? Is it really that difficult to distinguish between right and wrong? We do when the evil is masked as good. We do when the wrong seductively dresses up itself as right. When it's luring, when it's seductive, when it's attractive, it's deceptive. And we fall prey to the evil and give up the good 
We fall prey to the wrong and give up the right because we're just not trained well. It's the training, the maturing, the equipping of the saints. And to keep on driving this thing back to the original statement, you've become dull in your hearing. He says, you are stunting your growth because you fail to give heed to the word and receive it with honor. Receive it with value. Thus, leading us down this path where we fall away from the faith, giving heed to doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. I've just connected you from dull and sluggish in our hearing to giving heed to and falling away from the faith. It's there. It's the training. It's not receiving with the same value. It's not receiving with the same honor. In the Amplified, verse 14, solid food is for the spiritually mature whose senses are trained by practice to distinguish between discernment between what is morally good and what is evil. Now, I'll tell you right now, that distinguishing, it only gets more and more difficult the less that we yield to the training. It gets harder and harder to identify. There are things that are being sold as truth in our country today. You know what I'm talking about. That five years ago, you would have looked them in the face and said, that's absolutely delusional. What, where on earth did you get that? 30 years, you made have put them away. 100 years ago, what is wrong with you? And now today, not only is it accepted and allowed, it's promoted and celebrated and encouraged. How do we get there? I think we would call that deception. When you're willing to go to the highest power in the land, the Supreme Court, and get things turned in your favor to support your delusions, you are in deception. Not only are you promoting it now, you're defending it. And you want everybody on the planet to adjust to your way of thinking now. Yep. When discernment is low, deception, deception is high. When discernment is low, deception is high. Deception is not just the the luring away. It's the fully bought in. The giving heed to 
is the luring. Come over here. Come on. Come on. All right, just, one, just come on. One second. Just got one thing. Did God say? <laughs> just one, one, come, here, come on. I won't, I won't, I won't be long. One, one question. Did God really say? <laughs> Distraction. You entertain that enough? Well, maybe. Maybe he did. You let that settle in your life? Hey, Adam, come over here. I want to show you something. God's been holding something back from us. This, we can eat it. No problem. He's a liar. He's the truth. This thing just showed up and showed me the way. So come on, let's do this. You're promoting it to another, willing to defend it. Same script. Same script, different actors. Same, we are reading the same script, guys. All started with the, come on. Can I have a minute of your time? We become dull and sluggish in hearing the truth. When did they devalue the, do not eat the fruit of the tree? For when you do, you will surely die. When did they become dull and sluggish in that? When did that happen? When did the distraction take over? The giving heed to the serpent rather than giving heed to. Because you can't tell me you're giving heed to and the devil asks you the question, the serpent asks you the question and you respond with, yes. In fact, he did say that if we ate it or touched it, we would die. You can't tell me you're giving heed to. You got dull and sluggish somewhere. Yep. And then the test came. And they told you to throw it like this. And you're throwing it like this. You got, oh, I got this. It's a grenade. I mean, throw a grenade. Throw a grenade. I mean, how hard, how difficult could that be? Pin. Release, pull, what's the problem? You got dull and sluggish? Oh, I've heard it, I've heard it. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. That's enough, that's enough. I, I hear you, I got you. Kingdom of God, kingdom of God, seek you first. I know, God, God, man, do something different, God, quit. And you this, this devaluing, posturing up in your heart. Now a distraction comes along. Oh, oh hold on a minute. It's calling me. It's luring me. It's dressed up well. It's promising, promising something to me that I didn't have over here. Hmm. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll hear this one out. Hmm. Matthew chapter 7. Oh, gosh, are we already at 12 o'clock? Can you handle 10 more minutes? Matthew chapter 7. Let's, we, can, we can wind this up or wind it down. I don't know. 
We might get wound up. Get wound up. Wind it down. Let's rein it in. How about that? Let's rein it in. I can't leave you where I got you right now. Mm. Let's just let's just look at, at Matthew 7 real quick. What what happens? What happens? How does this hmm? Verse 15, Matthew 7, verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. A Pharisee never intends to be what he pretends to be. This is what he says in verse 16. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Huh. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that I can't pick bad fruit from a good tree. Huh? Is that what he's saying? He says, verse 18, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Now, the fruit is just the result. That's just what we see. That's just the result. But there's something that's producing the result. There's a tree. There's a tree. The tree produces the fruit. The tree produces the fruit. The fruit is what we all see. But the tree only can produce based upon what was sown or planted. So how are we going to, this dull, sluggish, hard of hearing, therefore we're only still able to partake of milk, we can't move on to the meat of the word, we should be able to teach, but now we got to be taught again. Being taught again, being taught again is the, what he's saying is you, you, you've given way somewhere to bad seed or your seed is ineffective. So we're going to teach you again. The teaching you again is actually the mercy of God. The teaching you again is actually God saying, I'm not going to leave you in that state. So if you can bear it, now knowing that your hearing needs to be adjusted, I'll go, I'll start all over. Thank God he's going to start all over. You're never too far gone. You're never too far deceived. You're never too far delusional. You're never too far into thinking or entrenched in an idea or entrenched in a thought process that God says, eh. No, he says, I'm going to teach you again. Let's go. Let's back, back here. You can eat the fruit of any garden, of any tree in this garden, but the fruit of this tree, you eat it, you will surely die. We start back, we just start back there. Start over. It's the mercy of God that he says, we'll come back in and teach you again. The first principles. The elementary truths. 
Because a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. John chapter 15. So what's the key? What's the answer? John chapter 15, verse 1. Earlier I said, when discernment is low, deception is high. When discernment is low, deception is high. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that I will, so that it will produce more fruit. Sounds like Jesus is interested in fruit, right? You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Here it is, verse 4, remain. Everyone say remain. Remain in me and I in you. That is the antidote for dull and sluggish hearing. Stay in it. Remain. New King James reads, abide in me. Dwell in me. Dwell in my word. Keep your ear in tune to my word and my voice. Don't become dull and sluggish. When discernment is low, deception is high. When devotion is high, deception is low. Devotion. Devotion will keep you from becoming dull. Devotion, honor, reverence, respect, staying in the word, valuing the word drawing on the word, receiving the word, never treating your study, your devotion, even your discipline as a chore. When you start treating the word of God as a chore, you're one step away from neglect. Neglect, abandonment. No, that time should be treasured. Harness the value of God's word. Harness the, the, the desire to be in it, to be under it, to hear it, to see it, to receive it, to draw from the word. We're talking about the attention factor. Worship team, if you can go ahead and come. We're talking about the attention, the element of attention. I want to drive this home. I've taken three weeks to do it. Because it's the attention factor. It's the attention factor. Next week, I'm going to begin ministering on the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father. But I've watched way too many people want to know the heart of the Father without a value for his word, and they still get off. They still get off. You're not going to get to know the heart of the Father outside of the word of the Father. 
He is the word. He places his word above his name. I told the Lord, I said, I got to start with the heart of the father. I got to start with the heart of the father because if I start with the word, then they're just going to get too religious and they're just going to get too legalistic because they're not going to know your heart. And he says, no, no, no. You can't get to know me without knowing my word. I'm revealed in my word. So we did it in the right order. Are there ditches which with either one? Absolutely. Emphasize the word without the nature of the father, you become legalistic. It's still deception. That's what causes you to crucify the very one that came to save you. That's deception. You got to know the heart of the Father. And I believe we're a church that we can give ear. Come on. We won't be dull. We won't be slow. We won't be sluggish. Because Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, speaking the truth in love. So if you just take what I've ministered the last three weeks and you don't apply what we're going to minister on in the next upcoming weeks, they'll speak the truth, but outside of its package. You may have the contents, but you don't wrap it right. Truth in love. Now you can learn the heart of the Father. Now I know the heart of the Father from the word of the Father. But we've got to avoid the sluggish hearing because every fruit you see is the result of a root you don't see. Every fruit you see comes from a root you don't see. Father, we want to bear the right fruit. We want to bear the fruit of the kingdom. Our heart, Father, is to be established in your word, to be established in your kingdom so that we can bear fruit from it. Father, whatever we are rooted in that will not bear the right fruit, Father, we pray you reveal it to us in Jesus' name. Come on, say that to yourself right now. Say, Father, reveal in me the wrong roots. Reveal in me what I'm rooted in that's unnecessary. Reveal to me what I'm rooted in that needs to be cut off. Reveal in me what I'm rooted in that will not produce your fruit. We say this together in Jesus' name. Amen. You want him to reveal it. You want him to reveal it. Show me. Uncover. Expose. So I can get rooted in the right things. Amen. Hallelujah. God is so good. He has done so much in just these few short weeks. And I pray that you are chewing on this, meditating on this, 
You know, this morning in our Elevate pre-service huddle, I just had our teams, our, our pre-service, pre-service huddles for all of our Elevate team members. You serve in any capacity. We, we come together about 15 minutes before uh, we get in place, in position. The Lord just laid on my heart this morning. You just need to have them sit still in my presence. It's not something we're good at, especially in this day and age. Sit still and listen. And we took that moment just to sit in his presence. And his presence isn't these guys. His his presence is awareness. I heard someone say one time, the God that is everywhere wants to be somewhere. Meaning God is everywhere. The question is, are you aware? Do you acknowledge? Are you sensitive to it? And we just took a moment just to sit in quietness. Some of us may have been like, (sighs) but practice that. It's the rhythms. Oh, we're good at getting words and giving words and hearing words and acknowledging words, but there's a time where you just need to acknowledge Him, the giver of the Word. You know, I told Him, I said, before we get in the kitchen like Martha, we need to sit at His feet like Mary. We need both. It's because of Martha's that we have greeters at the doors. because of Martha's that there's children, there's children being ministered to right now. Because there's Martha's, we've got, you know, 8 a.m. rehearsals. And because there's Martha's, we're, we're doing the work of ministry. But Martha's need to be Mary's. And so I hope that you're taking time to do that, especially through. And just get your notes out. Get your Bible out. You've heard it. Now meditate. Meditate. Chew on think on. Bring it back up. Chew on it again. Naturally, that sounds gross, but spiritually, it's how you reinforce something, and it's how you, man, you just digest it again. It's like, oh, I got more out of it the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time. This is how we're going to grow from infancy to maturation, right? Hallelujah. Well, we want to receive our tithe and offering at this time. If you are ready to give shout amen I love it there are offering envelopes in the seat back pocket in front of you just grab an envelope if you're giving by check or by cash you can mark or designate your giving today tithe offering vision giving Um, I made mention last week of course we are uh, getting ready to do uh, a big uh, not big but it's pretty extensive renovation to our preschool to accommodate for Treasure Harbor. We also made an announcement last week that we have gained access to one of our buildings, to our building next door, to one of the spaces in that building. And by faith, we took a step to launch our youth, kicked them out of their room, essentially, because in a few short months, that room is going to be different. Uh, And they're going to youth nights here on Sunday nights. And the Lord made way, the Lord made provision. They'll be, the current will be moving next door, have their own space back to Wednesday nights, be able to, man, make as much noise as you want. I don't care. You're not going to bother us. We'll preach over it. Um, so we will be launching. We're already getting some quotes and getting an idea of what needs to be done there. 
uh, hopefully by, definitely by the school year over the summer sometime, we'll be able to move over there and do those renovations. So thank you so much for your continued giving, support financially. Whether we have a project I'm specifically giving you at the time or not, there's always something. We are always advancing. There's always something ahead. As the Lord and the Holy Spirit prompts you, respond. And we always set it aside and designate it. If, if you're given toward vision giving, that's what that goes toward, future expansion. So we have something to pull on. Amen. And so thank you so much for your giving. You can give online and by text as well with the instructions on the screen behind me. Father, we come to you now ready to give, able to give, and with the right heart give. Father, I thank you, not just to the church, but through the church, into the hand of God and the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you that you see to it, that every need is met, all provision is made available, nothing is withheld. Father, I thank you that we have an abundance of riches, we have an abundance of wealth, we have an abundance of prosperity to do what you have called us to do. And you receive all the glory, praise, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.